Was it good? Was it bad? What was it like working with him, working with her? You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater, too. Feel your love of Broadway anew on Backstage Babble. Hi, this is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. For the month of April, I will be spotlighting members of the cast and creative team of some of Broadway's best shows, including Camelot, Kimberly Kimbo, and Juliet, and more. On April 16th, The Phantom of the Opera is closing after 35 years. Today, I am so happy to be joined by the actor who will be the last to don that iconic mask, Ben Crawford. Ben also starred in Shrek, On the 20th Century, Big Fish, Les Miserables, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory on Broadway, as well as Guys and Dolls on the Road, and Irma LaDuce and Merrily We Roll Along at Encores. And now, without further ado, here's Ben Crawford. Well, so I'd love to uh, start off by asking you, how did you first become interested in theater, and how did that first start? Oh, man, how did I first become interested in theater? Um, I was uh, what you'd call like a silly, goofy kid, and I kind of needed an outlet, I think. So um, I had some opportunities like at um, church growing up to like kind of act out and do plays and things like that, I would suppose. And then I got into high school, and um, I was in band for my first three years of high school. And then junior and senior year, I joined the choir. And in the choir, they did a musical every year. And so um, I did Anything Goes my junior year, and I did Fiddle on the Roof my senior year. And I'd say those two were pretty pivotal in um, showing me, like, what, um, uh, you know, what musical theater was, what theater was, um, and really helped me kind of decide that that was something that I wanted to do. So I think, you know, just being a silly, goofy kid trying to be creative, you know, as when I was younger, I would, you know, set up my scenes. I remember with my action figures and that was a big thing of creating plots for all of them. And, you know, it was less about like, it was less about, um, you know, I think playing with them and more actually like creating the stories behind every, all the characters and stuff. Wow. <laughs> and so once you had this interest and talent and all that, where did you begin to study in terms of college or? Yeah, I uh, I got my degree in musical theater, actually, at the University of Arizona, Tucson in uh, musical theater. Uh, and I was there for uh, five years. It took me a little longer because I changed majors. Um, and I did that. Um, and then uh, afterwards, I took a, a year off to make money to come to New York. And I did everything. I was a server. I worked uh, at a really cool children's theater. Um that was connected to the public school system. And um, I was a substitute teacher. And then uh, about a year went by and then I moved out to New York to, you know, try and start my career. Oh, wow. And did auditioning come easily to you once you were in New York? Were you just right away? Or? Uh, no, I think when it came to auditions, you know, I, I remember I moved to New York on a Monday and then the first audition I went to was a Friday and it was actually, um, it was a, it was a chorus call for rent. 
And I went in and I don't remember much of it. I know I was, I know it wasn't a great audition. I was super <laughs> nervous. Um, but I remember everyone in the room was really supportive. And I remember going and be like, this is my first audition in New York. And they were like, oh, that's so cool. They were, I, I, you know, I wish I remembered some of those people's names, but it was just like a, a really neat um, moment because I did really feel like people were um, behind me. And I, I know it was a really bad audition, but, um, you know, you got to start somewhere. So uh, I don't know if it, it went to me easily. I think um, auditioning came to me easily. I think it kind of um, took some time to get used to. But I think once you do, you're kind of like, this is me and this is what I do. And if you like it, great. Right. That's kind of how it feels. Yeah. And what was the process like of sort of finding your niche in terms of the types of roles you would go up for? And um, you know, I think it all comes down to what you get called in for, you know, it's like, what does casting, you know, want to see, what do they think you can do? And then I think there's a little bit of that sometimes when you have opportunities to show them something different, then you take those opportunities. So, um, you know, I think people thought it was like more of like a, you know, like going in for like more legit roles, like legit voice sounding roles, like baritone roles, and then kind of trying to show people that I could do other things and I could do comedy and um, you know, you kind of take those moments when you have them, but a, a lot of it is seeing what the business likes about you and then kind of using that to springboard yourself into other categories, I suppose. Right. And how did Les Mis come about as your Broadway debut? Um, that was a pretty cool story. I was, um, I went in actually for Javert. They're bringing in someone to replace Norm Lewis. And uh, that was my first audition. I had, um, I actually didn't go in for the ensemble. I went in for Javert and it was like a super, super good audition. Huh. And um, I didn't think I was going to get it because I was like, I'm the new kid. Like I haven't, I don't have any experience, but um, I uh, had a really, really good audition. So um, that came and went, they cast someone, but then the, um, the understudy for Javert came up in the ensemble and I was like, now that's something I could actually do. And so I remember going in and it was like a week of auditions and wow. um, it was like a Monday and then like a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you had to go in. It was something crazy like that. And I remember finishing on the Friday and going back home and my agent calling me and being like, can you do me a favor? Can you go to the Majestic Theater to get fitted for your new costumes? It's a really <laughs> neat way to find out. Yeah. And I literally started rehearsal the next day. I started, um, I would have eight hours a day for like a, like a week. Um, and it was like four hours of music and four hours of blocking. And that's how I got put in the show. Wow. And yeah. did you get to go on ultimately or? I did. As Javier, I went on a lot, quite a lot. And then I took over um, covering Valjean, but I never got the opportunity to do that. Um, but um, yeah, I went on for Javert quite, quite a good amount of times, which was pretty cool. Um, as a kid, just kind of coming to the city and um, I hadn't been here, you know, I was lucky I wasn't here too long before that happened. So um, it was pretty cool to kind of just jump into the, the situation. Right. And what was the process like of sort of creating your own interpretation on that role? And Oh, gosh. Um, well, you know, as an understudy, it's, I think there's a little bit of a balance because you, you can't like sway too far away from what the people playing the part are doing. But you obviously have to make it your own. So it's, you know, good. Um, I, uh, I just remember um, trying to um, find my way through through the show and asking a lot of questions. I mean, like I said, when it comes to being an understudy, you really have to take the principal's performer 
performance into account. So I remember doing that, you know, I don't know if I remember a lot of details, but I remember, um, you know, trying to really figure out and make sure stars was like really, really solid. And then, um, the end, uh, of the show for Xavier, I just remember really working on those a lot to make sure that, um, they were up to snuff of where I, where I wanted them to be. And plus it's this opportunity to go on. It's a, it's a chance to, you know, show people what you can do, et cetera. So, um, you know, always, always working is what it seems like. And what is it like to maintain your voice doing a show that's as challenging as that one is, or as Phantom is eight times a week? Um, you know, it takes a lot of, uh, technique, um, hydrating a lot. Um, you know, you have to watch your diet. It seems like everything I do, I kind of have to take into account for the show, either it's vocally or physically, um, just really making sure that um, I'm at the top of my game so that I can, you know, maintain for for the week uh, of shows, it's, you know, and then on your day off, you make sure that you're really, really rested and you don't really kind of like can't do a lot because you have right. to make sure that um, you have that time for your body to rest for sure. And what do you feel you sort of learned from the experience of making your Broadway debut with Les Mis about future shows? Uh, say that again, what kind of experience? Oh, well, I was say, what do you feel you learned for future experiences from making your Broadway debut with Les Mis? Oh, gosh, you know, that was an interesting show to make my debut in because a lot of those people, there was a lot of Broadway debuts in that show. Um, and so it was interesting to go into a group of people who were around my age, all like kind of experiencing the same, um, like joy in a sense that we got to be, you know, we were on Broadway. Um, we had some fantastic people, you know, like Norm Lewis was in the show. We had, uh, Gary Beach was in the show. We had Leif Longa and Judy Kuhn came in. We had like a fantastic group of people who were like iconic professionals that we could, um, you know, really look up to and watch their professionalism. You know, Alexander Gemignani was our Valjean. So we had um, just like a, a great group of people to, to um, like watch and see what like great performances were. And uh, I think if you were, you know, had that opportunity, there was a lot of people who would stand off and, and watch people perform because it was just um, such a, such a great opportunity to be, to be put in that show. Oh, yeah. And the next uh, Broadway show you did, I know, was Shrek. And what was it like to be part of that sort of more from its inception? And... Um, that was pretty cool because I started off as the Shrek standby. So I, my rehearsals, I essentially just followed Brian Darcy James wherever he went um, for the day. So it was a lot of being in the room and watching and observing, which I think was good for someone who was so um, new to like how music, like Broadway worked. Um, so yeah, my, my days with that were, um, watching him rehearse with Sutton and Daniel Breaker and Chris Sieber. Um, and then being with the show from the out of town tryout into Broadway, you, you watched a lot of, you know, numbers come in and get cut. You watched them add things to songs, um, you know, and how that changed things and, you know, how they would, um, you know, essentially like the, the way that things would come together, uh, it was it was really interesting to be a part of that, um, especially with a company that was like so um, hell bent on like putting out like something really great for their first theatrical outing. It was really cool to be a part of um, and see all the creativity from everyone. And what was it like to be part of a show? And I guess this applies to Phantom too, that has so many sort of technical elements involved. And 
I mean, shows like that, you really have to hand it to the crew and the stage management and people like that because they're helping you, you know, create the illusion. It's not so much you're going on stage and like singing and things like that. It's a lot of like, you know, um, with Phantom, there's obviously a lot of like um, things moving while I wave my hands and, you know, hiding in a lot of areas and things like that. Um, and so you do require the help of, of people. And, you know, if things go wrong, um, you can sometimes feel like you have egg on your face. So it's, it's really great to have like a crew and stage management who are on top of things and just really, um, you know, they're, they're performing with you as well. There's a lot of things that have to be done with timing and um, you have to, you know, sometimes you're like when we were adding new things to the show coming in after the pandemic, it was just like, okay, now where are we, where are we putting this now, this cue and for me to do this and that. So, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that, um, you have to take into account and realize like it's not just you it's a group of people helping to create this illusion or this character right and to go back on to shrek do you find that there's a difference when doing a show that mostly is sort of for a younger audience or yeah i mean um it's it's fun it's a different it's a different aspect a different business i enjoy doing shows um that are geared more towards the family um and like i said before i uh I taught, I've coached uh, younger kids. I've, um, you know, worked in children's theater before. Um, there's a there's a part of like wonder and magic that kids, you know, can really, um, they, they really state that they have. There's a wonder and magic that kids have that adults, I think, who have grown more cynical as they get older, they don't have as much anymore. So there is a, a great aspect of that. Um, and I think, you know, that's one of the most important things when you're implement, to implement when you're uh, doing a show that's geared towards the family or geared toward kids. Um, it's a different, like, business model, I suppose you could say, than, like, a, a dramatic show um, where, you know, you're not anticipating children to be in the audience. So um, it, it's fun to, you know, it's just another aspect of theater and it's another part of theater. And it's something that I really enjoy doing. Oh, yeah. And another sort of unique experience it must have been was doing um, Titanic and then Footloose at the Muni in St. Louis. And what was it like to be in such a big space? And Yeah, um, it's a really cool theater. It's, um, you know, I think they see like 10,000 people or something. It's amazing. And you're out there in like the middle of the summer and, you know, you can have a massive heat wave. Um, I believe that I think one performance for each of those got canceled, unfortunately, because of like sudden thunderstorms. Uh -huh. um, but uh, it was it was cool. It was uh, it's a great um, great place to go and do uh, theater in the summertime. Um, it's it's um, like one of a kind and like one of the best ways. It's such a cool premise that they you know are knocking these shows out throughout the summer and um, you know people come back and back you know for multiple shows during the during the summer. Um, and with Titanic and Footloose, they're just two completely different shows, you know? And I think that was the first time that Titanic had been like produced since the Broadway show or something. It oh. was a, it was pretty like a, like monumental thing. It was really cool. Um, and that was a fun part. I think it was also, you know, the Muni didn't typically do heavy shows like that. You know, the ending isn't like a happy feel good show. <laughs> um, and so uh, I think that was interesting to see how the audience reacted. And most of it was good, I think. Um, I know some people were like, well, that was really sad. And you're like, yeah, it's not, you know. Um, and then Footloose was great. Footloose was fun. It's, uh, you know, um, I love being a part of shows where, you know, you obviously still have conflicts and things like that, but it's not so much life and death. Um, it's, uh, it, there's, a, there's a slight laid back 
laid backedness to it compared to maybe like a Phantom um, or a Les Mis kind of thing. And so there is an aspect of that while the conflict and the stakes are still high, you know, no one's going to die at the end of the day. Right. And I know shortly after that, you did the tour of Guys and Dolls. And what do you like about sort of life on the road and that show in particular? Um, well, I mean, life on the road is interesting. That's really the only tour I've ever done. I've done a lot of like sit downs in regional theaters or like some of the symphonies and things like that. And I suppose you just try and like make your situation as comfortable as you can. I'd obviously like want to be at home, but you know, the way we work and what we do, you can't always be at home. So you just try and like, bring the creature comforts that you like so that you have some semblance of, of home on the road. Uh, Guys and Dolls is one of my favorite shows ever. It's fantastic. It's two and a half hours long and you've got two couples who um, fall in love and, you know, you go to a whole other uh, country in the middle of the show and just fly back. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's put together so well. Um, everything from the music to the, to the book is just fantastic. So that was a lot of fun to do. Worked with some great people on the show um, but it truly is one of my favorite musicals, like easily top three. Oh, yeah. And when you're doing a revival like that, or like on the 20th century or something like that, do you often look back at the previous productions or do you prefer not to do that? Or um, I'd rather not. And uh, honestly, if I'm doing a revival or something that's been done, unless there's something specific that we're trying to do on the show, I'd rather find it on my own to bring something new to it. Um, you know, there's some shows, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but if there, I'm, I know there's moments sometimes when you're doing a revival of something where you say, this would be something for us to look at and emulate. Um, but typically, if I can get away from, with that um, and stay away from other iterations of the show, I'd rather do that and, and find something more personal uh, for the show. Right. And I would love actually to ask more about On the 20th Century and what it was like to work with Kristen Chenoweth. And... Yeah, Kristen's fantastic. Uh, that was a great cast. It was uh, so much fun. And that show came at a really interesting time where I was like just starting to try and become like a, a principal actor and trying to get out of the ensemble. Um, and so it was interesting to see um, Kristen and Andy Carl work together with all of like the... Um, the choreographed you know like like bits and things like that that they had and watch them um and uh scott ellis who's our director um i love listening to him talk about you know essentially the science of comedy and why things are funny and you know they would Kristen and andy would try something and scott would say um the first part's funny but the second part isn't funny because of this and this and this so if you do this it will be funnier and they would do it and you're like oh my gosh like it's just like very that was obviously very smart and very good at what it does um peter gallagher was fantastic uh fantastic person he was kind of like the dad of the show in like the best ways and then we had uh like marklin baker and uh mike mcgraw were his sidekicks and they were wonderful there's some like really fun memories from that show it was just like a really solid group of performers who um were like professional and did their job and we just had a great time together and that was that was a lot of that was from Kristen just setting like a great example and coming in and like busting her tail and she did like shows of the broken rib I don't know if people know that like she had like a broken rib and was doing the show um yeah I mean she was in she was in it like a hundred percent all the time um and those crowds were I mean the crowds were incredible and it was fun to kind of be like riding the coattails of all the talent on stage you know with Kristen and Andy and Peter and um Mary Louise and 
Michael and Mark, they were just all, uh, just all fantastic and just like all great people, which is just always wonderful when you've got talented people who are like, just like kind and caring. And, uh, it was, it was just a fantastic, um, fantastic experience for sure. Oh yeah. And what do you think makes an ideal director to your way of acting? Um, you know, I think everyone needs a director who trusts them. Um, I've been really fortunate to do some shows and some revivals and do things different and have directors who are like, let him just do it. Like they have enough, they have enough faith in me and that I'm responsible and that I am like, I'm trying to create something different. Um, and you can sometimes feel like from producers, you can feel them get scared because they're like, this isn't what the normal thing is to do. And it's like, well, but the normal thing sometimes like, sure, like, people can do that, but make, maybe I'm not the person to hire for that, which I am totally fine with. Um, there's some things, of course, that's like you, you feel like you have to fit into the mold of what the show is. That's great. But, um, you know, a director, I think, who's collaborative, um, who has like 99% of the answers, they don't have all the answers. And there's some times where they can say like, well, I don't know, we'll, let's figure that out. Um, you know, it's just someone who trusts you that you're working hard um who gets what you're doing um and like i said it's like there for you when you have questions and uh isn't bothered by that i suppose right and two great directors that you worked with for sort of a more limited time were james lapine and john doyle both at encores and what was it like to collaborate with them uh fantastic you know i i didn't have um you know, any like real big moments in those, in those shows. Was James directed uh, Marilee and uh, John directed uh, Irma LaDuce. Um, I just remember, you know, James was similar, I guess, in the way that I remember like Scott being in the sense of like knowing what he wanted and how things would work and stuff like that. And then John, very similar. Um, I think the three of them though, exhibit like a great, um, like relaxed, um, a relaxed focusness, I guess, is a good way to put it, or like a relaxed focus, um, where there was never like, no, that's that's not it, that's not it. It was always like, no, like we need to do that. Like there was always just like a, a good, like gentle zhuzhing all the time. <laughs> um, and I remember John telling a story, and I don't even remember what the show was, but I remember him talking about a show where there was a moment in the show where they realized within like four minutes, and I can't honestly, I don't remember what it was, and I wish I could they had mapped out in this like four minute scene, about four minute scene, there was like 36 laugh moments and they had like mapped it out. And, you know, like the science of comedy is something that's always so intriguing to me. So I remember just like thinking that was like really cool. And Irma LaDuce is such like an absurd show um, that, you know, you're taking these absurd things like seriously, but then you also have to, if you take it too seriously, then you look out of place. <laughs> so it's that kind of thing where you're, you know, trying to do everything with like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, but like fully in the moment. Um, so that was an interesting uh, show to do. And I think John was like a fantastic director to do that um, with. And then James was just like perfectly on with what we did with Merrily. It was just like a great way to bring back that show, I thought. And, um, you know, not only James, obviously, but having like Steven Sondheim in the room to to watch and take notes. And like I said, like I was just kind of like a bug on the wall. I didn't do a lot of that. I was in the ensemble. But so I got that moment to really just like observe and see what was going on and um, taking as much as I could. Uh, right. And I would love to know, how did Big Fish come about? And 
Uh, big fish. Uh, that was pretty, that was, that was a great, um, moment as well. That was about a year in my life, uh, in total, it should have been more, but, um, we had a workshop in the beginning of, I think it was 2012, I believe, or 2011. I can't remember. It was a while ago, but, uh, had a workshop and then we had the out of town in Chicago, which was some fun times. It was all the guys except for Norber and Bobby Steger were in one room. And so it was just like this group of guys, just like crazy. It didn't, there was like such an age range and such a different, like eclectic group of backgrounds, but like everyone really got along. Like the everyone, like the guys really all got along in that show. And I think it was the same for the girls too. I think it was just like a lot of fun being out of town, trying to figure out what the show was and then coming into the Neil Simon. Um, and, you know, I have my thoughts on that. It was, it was really frustrating. I think the show was great. I think it, um, I think that some people maybe like didn't, I don't know, it, it, it didn't, it deserved more than it got. That's what I think personally. Um, and it was, it was a, a joy to be a part of. Um, and uh, I really love the opportunity. It was such a beautiful show, such a beautiful message. And, uh, you know, every show there was people in the audience just like weeping at the end because of just how beautiful it was. It was like that sad, beautiful aspect of like life and how it goes and how much we look up to our parents. And, you know, we don't really know their whole life, but we know a lot about them. And, um, you know, seeing... Uh, through this guy's eyes, you know, how he raised his son and, you know, he was there all the time, but you, you knew that he loved this kid and um, just like a, a fantastic um, message, I believe. So um, like a lot of people, I was super frustrated that we, we didn't have a uh, longer opportunity to show people how great the show was, but um, yeah, one of those, one of those moments in your life and in, in your career where you say, you know, you may think that the show is like the greatest thing, but you know, Sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. And it's really frustrating because like I said, I just love that show and love being a part of it. Oh, yeah. And do you often read reviews of either your own work or the shows you're in? Or um, I do. Uh, I am one of those uh, uh, performers who does that. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I've never, and I don't know if I, if, if like an actual official review, I haven't been fortunate enough yet um, to, uh, have a uh, review about me, like in a in a prestigious trade paper, you know. Um, but I do read them. Um, I do like to know when people are there. Uh, I feel like I work harder, but not in like an overworked way. Um, you know, even with like Phantom, when they'd say like, you know, Andrew's in the audience or Cameron's in the audience or how God bless him is in the audience. Is like, do you want to know when? I'm like, absolutely. Like, I just, you know, you don't, you just want to make sure that everyone has days. I mean, it's not like the same performance every day, day in, day out. And if there's someone out there whose opinion like really matters, I want to make sure that, you know, we're giving them the best that we can. Right. Right. And so before we talk about Phantom, I would love to ask you about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And that was sort of another kid's show and with Chuck O'Brien and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie was a lot of fun. Charlie, um, was uh, a wonderful moment. It brought me back to when I was in college and I was in an improv group. And it was just, it was, it was really about that science. We really had um, to figure out when, you know, what, what kind of audience we had that day, if it was adults or if it was kids. Um, a lot of the jokes played differently depending on what the audience was. 
and what they were comprised of. So there was a lot of, you know, um, figuring out how that worked on a show basis. Um, I remember a wonderful moment, uh, a couple moments with Christian, just like talking to him and being like, can I pick your brain? Like, what can I, like, what do you think I could do here? And he was always just like wonderfully helpful in that way. Um, you know, and figuring things out. And I remember, you know, we had a moment at the end of the show where, um, my daughter Veruca met her demise and, um, it was, it, 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 the audience was like in on it and like, like it would just, it would just stop the show in like the best way. And, you know, a lot of it was like talking to Christian and just like, listen to the audience, hear them. And like, and you go back for another take to see, you know, like just really listening. And I remember a night where everything worked really well and he was looking at me and he had this like glint in his eye, like, that's it. Like you, like you did it, you know? Um, so it was just a lot of fun and just really, you know, Mr. Salt had lines here and there and kind of interspersed. So you had to really, um, you know, listen to the pace of the show and is it worth like taking this line and trying to get a laugh on it? Or is the show speeding along in a way that we need to, you know, push through it was that it, it was that kind of a great way to just kind of um, test your comedic metal in a lot of ways. Uh, and can you usually tell how a show will sort of end up doing with something like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Or, um, you know, that's that's hard. That's really really hard. Um, and it's always different. It, it, you have to get the audience in front of you. You really do. It's just there's no. There's no other way to do it. You got to put people in front of you. And I'm not even talking about like producers, like backers performances, like that's, that can be one thing, but I mean, like putting an audience in front um, and just seeing how they react is just the best way to see what you need to, you know, change and, you know, switch. So, you know, previews that these Broadway shows have, you know, everyone's, you know, we had a couple of shows open uh, previews like this week. And so, you know, they're just going to be tightening up things and seeing where, you know, they feel like they have to move the show along and, you know, take more time here. And what's your intention behind this line? So, you know, you got to really like, like audience is like the true litmus test of, I think, how obviously, like you can't, you can't pre-plan anything. Right. And so how did the Phantom of the Opera first happen for you? And... Um, well, I was just finishing Charlie and I got the audition and um, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this because my daughter was out in Arizona and I really wanted to see her. And I remember my good buddy, Alan Green, who played Mr. Beauregard in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I remember him saying, you better go to that audition. Like, I'd never heard him like talk to me like that. And I was like, oh, I think I should go to the audition. So I went in and had a great audition and then I had, I remember I went in at like noon or like 11 o'clock on a one day and they were like, great, can you come back at like 2.30? So I went back at 2.30 and it was just for an hour. It was just music of the night over and over again. And I think they were just trying to check like vocal stamina. Um, and so I just did that over and over again. And then um, I remember not hearing anything for a while. And it took like a week to come back and they were like, they're not going to do a final callback now. They're going to wait a while. I was like, okay. Um, so I went to Arizona and was hanging out in Arizona and then got a call. You need to come back to New York for the final callback. And I thought, okay. But I remember being like, I just checked the tickets and they were like $800 for round trip. And I was like, is this worth it to my agents? I was just like, is this like, like, I, I'm not saying like, do I have the part? I'm just saying like, is it worth it for me to spend this money? Like, am I in the running? And they were like, well, you have a final callback. Like, <laughs> yes, you know? Um, and I just remember it being a lot of money and I remember it being a quick transition and flying out, 
doing the audition and um i remember seth who's our boss was like oh just so you know hal's here today to watch the audition and i was like okay great it's fine <laughs> so went in and like the big thing with hal was that hal would always say that you were swell and i remember during the audition after i finished he's like you're terrific ben and i was like oh thanks so I finished and my agents were like, did he say you were swell? And I said, no, he said I was terrific. And they were like, what does that mean? Like, it was like a whole, like, he's never said this about someone. So I had to wait for like a month uh, until I found out. And I remember finally my agent calling me um, and uh, telling me that I had got the part. And it was, you know, obviously this amazing feeling. And then they're like, but you can't tell anyone for like a month. So it just became like this game of like, just it's like being super quiet and um, just, uh, you know, not not letting the cat out of the bag eventually, essentially. And then coming back to New York to start rehearsals. Um, and then I had about like four weeks of rehearsals and then just, you know, was in the show and just doing it every day. It was uh, pretty, pretty crazy. Wow. And what has it been like to work with um Hal Prince and Andrew Lloyd Webber on it? And did they have advice for you and all that? Uh they're great. You know, I think, you know, Hal Hal gave some like fantastic advice. Just he's he's so good about like what he wants and like the way to break it down to speak to an actor. That was the thing I really loved about Hal. Um Andrew's been great as well. I mean, he's been uh pretty complimentary to the whole thing. Um he uh you know, he's, he's, he was just at the show for the 35th and, and said he loved it. Um, you know, Cameron was a little more hands-on when we came back from the pandemic oh. and was giving notes. And then he came probably like two or three months ago and gave us a um, couple more things. So uh, just always interested in what they have to say. And um, they all have like, just, just great ways of putting things. And uh, you just, I just appreciate like any feedback they give me. And did you find that anything about your interpretation changed after the pandemic? And Yeah, I mean, it's been like, you know, not counting the 18 months when the show wasn't running. It's been, I think it'll be three and a half years um, when we uh, closed the show on the 16th. So, um, yeah, lots changed, you know, and it's like, it's very difficult. It's not an easy job to do. It's not an easy role. And especially the way I portray it, like I kind of like rip my heart out of my chest every night. And it's, it's a lot emotionally, physically, um, vocally, all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, I mean, there's moments where it's like, I, you know, you just, you're just tired, you know, on some days and Saturday nights are my favorite because, you know, there, you kind of run on like caffeine and adrenaline and when the audience like grit is great and they want to be there. It's just like, I finished the show and I'm just exhausted, but it's like the best kind of exhausting because you feel like you've just given everything you can, um, you know, and you go through the week and it kind of, the kind of, the week kind of builds up into the weekend, which is pretty cool. So um, now, you know, our audiences have all been fantastic, but even though, even, even then coming into the weekends, like on Friday and Saturday, the, the crowd is just, they're, they're great. They're really awesome. And have you had any sort of reactions of fright from the audience, things like that, booing, anything like that ever? Uh, luckily, no booing, no, thankfully. Um, I think actually at the end of one show, I did get some boos, I think because they did, they thought I was the bad guy. So that's, that's fine. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, you know, we get a lot of um, reactions from me and the angel, which are fun. Um, we've had people like CB come up and they're like, uh oh my god and you know the audience laughs for a moment so you have to just like take a second to uh um you know to let them chill out we had a guy one time 
he saw me pop up and he was like, oh, oh yeah. Like he, he really, <laughs> he really enjoyed the fact that I had just heard Raul and Christine declare their love for each other. He was like, oh, this guy's going to be mad, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but yeah, the audiences, they have some great moments. We've had people, you know, they're stunned even when like um, Christine takes the hood off in um, Don Juan and pass the point and overturn that are stunned at that, which I find great. Cause you know, I'm like, really, you didn't know that was me, but they apparently didn't. So that's cool. <laughs> that's great. Um, and uh, yeah, like, like the crowds are just like very receptive and they're really into it. And I think one of the cool things about Phantom is that um, there's a demographic of people who maybe haven't seen a Broadway show still, or don't see a lot of Broadway. And there's something about the show. It just like, keeps people on the edge of their seats like when it, the show's running on all cylinders like it just it keeps it keeps the crowd on the edge of their seats for sure oh, and what is it like physically to have to perform with the mask and all the prosthetics and is that difficult or does it just become natural after a while no it's really annoying it's oh. uh you know it's interesting because with shrek we wore prosthetics but it was symmetrical and there's something about the asymmetricality of just having stuff on one side of your face that really has you um, I do a lot of like jaw stretches and I do a lot of, um, cause there's like the shoulder, extra shoulder tension. I'm really careful about the placement of the prosthetics. And then even like, cause there's a bald cap and like making sure that that has, um, some, uh, slack in it, because if it's too tight, then you're kind of like this, the whole show with your head up. And so that creates pressure and tension on the neck. I mean, and it, and it's not like, um, it's like I'm a baritone, so I'm singing like kind of at the time, pretty much at the top of my range for, for the song, the show. So you need a lot of like, you need to be able to relax. And so if you have tension in your jaw or your neck or your shoulders, like it, it definitely doesn't help um, <laughs> with the portrayal. So um, it, it's really important about where the, that stuff kind of goes and lives on your face. And um, I'm constantly taking care of my skin with like treatments and lotions and moisturizers. And, you know, it's like we do so many shows a week and then um you know we use this fantastic glue which is called telesis it's like a medical grade glue that like people would use to apply um like prosthetics if someone had the unfortunate situation where they had to apply like a prosthetic nose like an actual nose they would use this stuff it's um wow. it's, it's it's great it's really great stuff and uh it washes away really well and it's like all natural um and so we have to use um you know, we use that, but we use it, you know, I get, I get the makeup applied to me like, you know, eight times a week, seven times a week. So it's really, um, you have to really watch your skin and make sure that it's staying hydrated, but like not too hydrated. Cause I also sweat a lot. So <laughs> the whole thing you have to figure out and like, you have to like get used to because some of the stuff I did with Shrek don't work with Phantom. Um, maybe because I've gotten older, but also because they're different material. That was silicone and this is foam latex. So it's two different types of prosthetics. They breathe differently. They react on your face differently. Um, they hold the glue differently. So there's a lot of like science that goes into it as well. Right. And have you ever had a mishap on stage with Phantom or anything like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Plenty of them. Plenty of them. They happen. You know, it's the joy of live theater. So you have stuff happen. Um you know, I have I have some fun records too at the theater. I one night I took my hat off and threw it, you know, in the in the first journey. And the hat is like the candelabras that go like this, and the hat stuck between the head and the arm of the candelabra girl. Never has happened. Um, we had the lift that I go up on and masquerade that just like broke down one night, so I had to climb a set of stairs, which apparently no one's ever had to climb. Um, 
I uh, I broke the throne so bad one time it had to be taken apart. It had never been taken apart ever in the history of the show. So they had to call um, the original uh, production like uh, like production like crew guy, like the main technical director, and he had the old blueprints. And he and our our prop guy like took it apart and like cleaned wow. it out. And like they were like, this has never been done before. So like maybe it's good that I wasn't doing it right. Anyway, so I have some fun records. There's all kinds of mishaps, you know. Me and Emily uh, just had a funny moment where she was running for me holding the mask and it slipped out of her hand and went upstage of the portcullis so we couldn't get to it. <laughs> so we had to do a whole scene without the mask. And sometimes that happens and you're like, oh, you know, make it a little different. You know, sometimes the candelabras don't come up all the way. Like, I think that happened Saturday night and we had to, like, Julia, Eudine, uh, the Christine alternate, she and I, we had to, like, we, we started Music of the Night just, like, downstage just no organ, nothing. And then slowly everything kind of came into place with, you know, the show must go on and the show keeps running unless we absolutely have to stop it. So we figured out a lot of ways to, to get around things that have happened. You know, it's, uh, the show's been running for 35 years. Sometimes the automation, it's just, it's tired. Those, those old candelabras, they get tired in the middle of going up. And so we, uh, we just do what we have to, to, to make it work. Right. And so how did you first find out that the show would be closing after 35 years? And Well, you know, uh, we had, unfortunately, someone leaked the news to a reporter and they wrote an article and the article was, you know, fully incorrect, which was hard, uh -huh. um, understandable. Like, I get it, but I'm also, I, I don't, um, you know, they wanted to be the first to report the news, but the news was wrong. They had a closing much earlier. Um, and, uh, you know, I was supposed to actually have an interview that day and they were like canceled the interview. So it just became like a, um, a little bit of a frustrating thing with that situation. And then we got a company meeting called and people were like, what's the meeting for? And, you know, I've, I'm so fortunate. It was my Phantom is my sixth Broadway show. And I'll tell you, whenever you get a, a something about a company meeting, it's never good. So <laughs> um, we all had a Zoom meeting and they, you know, they let us know the show was closing. The only thing that I was a little like about was when they said we were closing in February. I thought, I wonder if that's true. I wonder if we're going to extend a little bit. Enough. Uh, you know, fortunately we have. Um, so um, yeah, but that's kind of how we found out. And I mean, I think everyone's taken it as well as they can. My heart goes out to people who have been to the show for like, you know, years. I think it's, it's suddenly it's, you know, the pandemic's just kind of changed everything. And so it's really, um, I think, you know, it's 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 sad in a lot of ways that you know something like that is you know stopped the show from from running um, because of the the cost to to keep everything going. Well, you know, testing for COVID, et cetera, all that stuff. So um, it's uh it's a new it's a new world after the pandemic, and unfortunately, you know, Phantom had a little bit of it after post pandemic. But uh, you know, listen, I'm sure it's going to come back. It's never going to be gone forever. So yeah, and. What has it been like to have these sort of sold out houses since the closing has been announced? And are there festivities planned, things like that? I'm not sure if you're allowed to talk about that, but you know, I don't know a lot. Honestly, we're actually supposed to have a company meeting on Thursday where they're going to tell us about some of these things. Um, I do know that they're doing uh limited edition playbills on certain days, um, and they're they've already done a couple. And then I think if people are like, like smart enough about like the show and like who's attached to the show, they can figure out like where the other, they'll do some like limited edition playbills. Um, I was so lucky. They did the coolest thing for the 35th. As you remember, it's this picture of me on the throne. Um, and it's just 
the, one of the coolest things that I've ever seen and been a part of. And if you go to Schubert Alley now, they've put up a lithograph where as you walk by, I disappear and the mask uh, is where I was on the throne. It's oh, really wow. amazing what they've done. Yeah. So uh, there are some events. Um, I don't, I, like I said, I'm going to get informed on, on more of them on Thursday. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, there'll be some limited edition playbills. That's about all I know um, for some specific shows. So we'll see, um, we'll see what happens with, with those. But um, yeah, I think it'll be a, a fun party. We've got, you know, less than two months left. And I think everyone's just really excited to, to be a part of the show. I mean, everyone who's attached to it is a part of history. So it's a, it's a really cool moment and something to be really proud of. Um, and uh, I've been just so very fortunate uh, to be attached to the show for so long. Oh, yeah. And coming out of Phantom Rapture, as you said, three and a half years and more like five, including the pandemic, is there mm -hmm. another role that you'd like to do next or another type of role, something like that? I mean, there's things that I would love to do right now. Like I would love uh, to have an, op an opportunity. It doesn't have to happen right now. I'm okay with taking a little bit of time off and my body and voice need a rest. I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little tired, but uh, you know, I'd love to be able to go into Hamilton. I'd love to be able to go over to like Little Stop or Chicago, you know, things that I could maybe just like jump into and, and, you know, you know, be an artist and produce some great theater with, you know, with these, these fantastic casts and these shows. So um, it'd be something that I would, I would love to do, but like, uh, you know, people say like, what show do you want to do next? And I'm like, I think there's a show out there that hasn't been written yet. Maybe there that hasn't been written, but you know, I haven't met up with the show yet. Um, and I'd love to, you know, be a part of that. That's, that's the kind of, there's a, there's a, there's an excitement and suspense about closing a show and working hard to like figure out what you're doing next and set up those next projects and stuff like that. And then, but I also feel like there's stuff that kind of pops out of the blue as well, um, which is one of the neat parts about this, you know, job and why we're always like working so hard and, you know, trying to establish that reputation of wanting to do the best that we can. And then, so the last question I'd love to ask is with such a great career, what advice would you give to someone just starting out? Yeah, sure. Um, I have two things I always say. Um, people and the, the first one is to work hard like you have to work hard if you don't work hard like you will not survive in this business it takes a really strong work ethic um you know you have to work smart as well and i think that you, you work hard enough and you start to realize where to work smart in areas and then i think the smartest thing that any young person can do is start like uh understanding how the business works and why it works the way it does you know a lot of it most of it is dictated on money um, you know, and I, I have friends who are like, well, I went in for this part, but like they didn't give, they got, they gave it to so-and-so and they've done all these jobs and why? And it's like, well, because that person is a, a proven commodity and that person has a following and they know if they put that person in the show, that people are going to come see the show for them. So, um, you know, uh, you can go and like, I, I think that, you know, Broadway.com and Playbill, they all post the grosses every week and you can go and check and you can see what shows how much each show is making each week, what their capacity attendance is, how much each ticket is selling for. You you know, you need to know when shows close and open during the year. Obviously, we're going to see an influx of shows opening because the Tonys are coming up. Um, and then typically you see shows close um, around like Labor Day or you see shows close around like the first Sunday in January. Um, and that's just kind of how it has worked. Um, so really understanding how the business, like you, you take away a lot of the, well, why did this and why did that? Um, and you understand things a lot better. And then that's where it kind of 
it can really like help settle you in a lot of ways because you understand, you know, it's not you, it's the business, you know, don't, you know, take things so personally. It's not anything you did. You could go in and have an amazing audition, but you know, if someone else is like a TV star or, you know, has like a, a well-known name, like, you know, it's just, that's, that's how it works. So quit, like, you know, don't put too, we, we have so much stress already in this business. So don't put extra stress on yourself. Right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been such Absolutely, a Charles. It's been a great chat, man. Thanks for okay. having me. For me too. Thank you. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. And remember to come back next time when I am joined by Paulo Sat. Paulo Sat is currently starring as Lance Dubois in Broadway's smash hit And Juliet, and you may also know him from his previous Broadway appearances in South Pacific opposite Kelly O'Hara and Chicago opposite both Erica Jane and Anna Villafagne. He is also a veteran performer of opera stages, including the Met Opera, where he sang in productions of Die Fledermouse and Madama Butterfly. You won't want to miss that conversation, so make sure to tune back in for that, and thanks for listening.